0: Yeah, let's open the word of God to Galatians in the New Testament, chapter one. And let me read verses six through eight of chapter one. So Galatians chapter one, verses six through eight. Paul says under inspiration, I'm amazed that you, and that's all y'all in Oklahoma. I'm amazed that all y'all are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel which is really not another. It's only one gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, the apostles themselves, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Two weeks ago we looked at what TBFers should know about Islam, and we pointed out that according to Muslim belief in 610, A.D., the angel Gabriel came to Muhammad and began to give him the information that would eventually become the Quran. Uh Today we're going to look at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, maybe better known as the Mormons, although they've in the last six months decided that they don't want to be called Mormons. I'm going to try not to use that term out of courtesy and respect. My, my take on uh, inclusive language is, inclusive language is not so much political correctness but personal courtesy. I'm happy to use whatever labels people want us to use for them. Just don't throw me a dangerous throwback to the 18th century because I'd prefer you call me a evangelical Christian and leave it at that. But we're looking at the folks who embrace the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints today and as we read Galatians 1, I'm reminded that according to their beliefs on September 21st, 1823, the angel Moroni came to an 18-year-old Joseph Smith and told him where certain buried golden plates were that he would dig up eventually and with, with some heavenly spectacles be able to translate the uh, golden plates into what we call the Book of Mormon. And so we've got angels involved in the founding of Islam, a major world religion, We've got an angel involved in the beginnings of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. But both of them teach a different gospel. And Paul was anticipating, as it were, uh, that kind of thing when we read uh, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 8. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the name change. But the president of the organization about six months ago said, uh, we don't want to be called Mormons. Don't call ourselves Mormons. Don't let people do that and don't even call us latter-day saints which is uh, which I thought was a more generic label that they didn't object to but um, I like acronyms you know the acronym for the uh, attributes of god that I like to use is uh, two juniors live and so when you look at the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints you got t c o j colds which is just my way of summarizing it but uh, I mean no disrespect but here's the deal here's what I'd like you to walk home with. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a relatively recent in historical terms organization that claims to be the restoration of the true original form of New Testament Christianity, but which directly denies the clear major teaching of the New Testament. Now, that may sound familiar because I used that same general description last week for the Jehovah's Witnesses, and that, that description... Relatively recent claims to be the original form distorts everything we know about the original form. Uh, that's the definition theologians use for the word cult. When I tend to think of cult, I think of sociological dangerous people, Jim Jones, Peoples Temple, go to Guyana, kill five hundred people, drinking the Kool Aid. But when theologians use the word cult, the, the 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 Christian cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, or excuse me, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints, we're talking about relatively recent groups that claim the whole thing's been corrupt since the apostles died, but we're going to tell you what it really means. And they always add different scripture, they always add human authorities to tell you what it means. You don't read it, we'll tell you what it means. And they always distort the major doctrines in the New Testament. So pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, I would say, and pay no attention to the spectacular architecture that is part of Mormonism in their temples, and let's focus on the main things. And we'll look at the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in this mini-series, what believers, TBFers specifically, need to know about certain things. But first, let's pray for teachability and for our active military peace officers and firefighters. And, you know, Doug Strange is a, a veteran. Homer, he was in the Navy. Homer Cox is a veteran. He's so good, both the Army and the Air Force had to have him. And uh, Hal Bro is an, an Army veteran. Have any other veterans today? So we're honored to have you guys here as always. But uh, uh tell you what, Lind Lindell, if you would, Smith, lead us in opening prayer tonight or this morning. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Yeah, we are in the middle of this mini series, what TBFers need to know about various things, and we're gonna look at the Church of Jesus Christ, the Church of Latter-day Saints. I apologize. I have my standard deal there, but notice, Lord willing, weather permitting. In April, we'll start a new maxi-series on the life of Joseph. We'll do exposition of Scripture, which is my preferred method of teaching. Uh, We need to pray for the Ward family. They now officially have three teenagers under the same roof. (laughs) So that's going to be interesting. But I expect great things from all three of those kids, and especially Jamie. Man, Jamie's the... You think the boys are talented? You think they're good? She's the talented one. I mean, she puts them in the shade in a lot of ways, but... Uh This is going to be disappointing for Henry because one of the main reasons he's here is for the abstract thought warmer-upper. I'm not sure why I left that in there. But we've only got time for one today, so we're going to have to be uh, warmed up quickly, okay? Now, these are two guys in an office, and they, they might be Mormons, although I don't think the Mormon would say what the punchline is. But Mormons are clean-cut. They're moral. They're nice. They live very clean lifestyles. Uh, they don't do polygamy anymore. We'll tell you why uh, later today, just to keep you interested. But they'd be great neighbors. They'd be great people to work with. They just have a theology that redefines God, Jesus, sin, salvation, little things like that. But anyway, so these these could be Mormons, I guess. But anyway, they're in an office, and the guy sitting down is probably the big boss, and the guy with the paper in his hands is probably a vice president. So they're pretty... Both people are highly rated in this organization, I take it. And the big guy says to the uh, vice president, we've got to draw the line on unethical behavior, but draw it in pencil. (laughs) So you're going to erase it, right? That's the problem. Now, as we look at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I'm really wanting you to be more clear in your conception of what the real deal is. Let's look at the Latter-day Saints through the lens of biblical teaching on the main thing and the very truth, the very core truth of Christianity that transcends colors, cultures, countries, denominations, generations, is the gospel. Paul says in the theme verse of Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God, it's not the power of the Southern Baptist Church or Tanglewood Bible Fellowship Church or Billy Graham or James Mitchell or Brad McCoy. It's the power of God. Under salvation, and by salvation he means what uh, is not really described by Mormonism. They have two different kinds of salvation, and they're kind of shrunken down. He means the gospel is the power of God under salvation for all believers. He means forgiveness of sins like all the ones Christ died for, which is all of them, that kind of salvation, like him giving you a righteous standing legally, that's good on your first day, on your worst day, and will be there forever. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And he means go to heaven, and there's only one heaven we can go to. Uh, that's what he means by that. The Mormons totally read that differently. The members of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. I'm not saying the gospel, it's the power of God and salvation for all who believe, regardless of color, country, denomination, generation, anything like that. If that's the, the gospel... In a nutshell, the death and burial, the death and resurrection of Christ. He died for our sins and rose again. Assembly of God, believers of all colors, countries, and cultures believe that historically. Methodists do historically. Southern Baptists, Northern Baptists, Nat Church of the Nazarene, Presbyterian churches, Lutherans, and even Tanglewood Bible Fellowship. That's our core message. And that's how that, that's what I was talking about, this system of ovals where we're focusing on the gospel. But here's the thing. In First Corinthians, we're told the gospel is the truth that Christ died for our sins on the cross. He didn't pay for our sins in Gethsemane; said for a reason. He died for all of our sins. How many of your sins were future, Dustin? When Jesus died in 33 A.D., all of them. How many did He pay for? All of them. You've got to have all of it forgiven, not just have go through a ceremony and have God wipe the slate clean, and now you're on your own to maintain that. That's the system they're teaching. It's a caricature, it's a shrunken form. Second Corinthians 11, Paul warns about false teachers who would proclaim another Jesus, another gospel. The gospel is the truth that because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. Is that any good? That's the whole thing, man. Uh, he says, it is finished, telestai, paid in full. That's what he says when he finishes paying the sin debt. But he's not dead anymore. Okay, Tim, you know this. A dead Savior can't get you from Oklahoma to heaven, but the risen one is the only one who can, and he'll give it to all who trust him for it. Jesus says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him has everlasting life, and I myself will, give, will raise him up on the last day. Is that any good? You've got no such gospel like that in Jehovah's Witnesses nor in uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You got a gospel where you gotta earn it. Jesus helps you earn it, but you gotta earn it. It's a DIY project. But Paul says, I'm not gonna water down the grace of God. It's all about unmerited favor and God doing the work and salvations of the Lord. Christ does all the work. We receive it as a gift. If we could be righteous enough to go to heaven, Christ died needlessly. If a law could have been given which was able to give David Demerson life, because he's a very nice guy, very moral guy, very great husband then righteousness would have been based on live like David Demerson and you another know, really great people. And wherever God draws the line, you'll make it. Maybe if you're above the line, you'll never know if you're good enough till you die. But Scripture has shut up everybody under sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, we're all ungodly compared. I mean, at our worst, we break our own standards, much less God's. right? But Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ so that He could do the work for you might be given to those who believe in him. So that's the kind of the official logo that I got from one of their websites. They have two different websites now for a couple of interesting reasons, I think. But we're going to talk about this group. Relatively recent, claims to be the restoration of the real thing, and yet distorts the real thing. This is I know it's hard to read. It actually shows up better on the screen than my computer. This is from Mormon.org and this is part of a, um, a paper written by the president, who is a living prophet who gets direct information from God all day long, or he claims to. And in the middle of last year, they changed the name. Don't you call us Mormons. But describing who they are in the year 1820. 1820, uh, Joseph Smith, who was 15 years old, he lived near Palmyra, New York, upstate New York. He was desperately trying to decide which church to go to. Now, Hal and I were talking about that If he if he was in Duncan, it would take him like two years to visit all the churches. But Palmyra at that time had like three or four churches. They had a Catholic church, they had a Presbyterian church, they had a Methodist church, they had a Northern Baptist church, sorry, Southern Baptist, and they had a church in Nazarene. So he couldn't decide between five. Now, if he'd been in Duncan, he'd have 505. But he couldn't decide what church to go to, so he was praying for that in the middle of treasure hunting one day, and he claimed in 1820, God the Father and Jesus appeared to him and said, they're all abominations. It's all wrong. It's been messed up since the apostles, but you're going to fix it, okay? So that's their literature. In the year 1820, God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, appeared to the prophet Joseph to initiate the restoration. If you're going to transform something, you mean it's broken or messed up. Beware people want to transform stuff. He wants to restore it because it's messed up. The New Testament's been distorted. What the Presbyterians, the Methodists, our teaching is, is all wrong. We gotta tell you what it really means. Now, this is actually the homepage of, ironically, Mormon.org. And this is like the sh- flagship, um, web webpage for the, uh, uni- for this church, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they don't want to be called Mormons any- anymore, but they're, they're really kind of, it's kind of like me. Uh, I'm not really, uh, cheap. I'm just frugal. Apparently they don't want to change their domain name. I don't, I don't, I'm kidding. But, uh, it says Mormon.org there. But notice it says, "Come to Christ." They're really trying to to uh, market themselves as a Christian denomination, and they don't like the word Mormon because that is, the word Mormon. Well, we believe the angel Moroni uh, appears Joseph Smith in eighteen twenty-three to tell him where the golden plates were. Uh, they don't want to. They don't want to get in that conversation. They want to say, "Hey, we we believe in Jesus like you Baptists do, or like you TBFers do, or like you Presbyterians do. We just have more to tell you about Him." That you haven't read about. You haven't read the Book of Mormon like we have. So that lady looks very very nice. I bet she's really a smart, sincere, wonderful person. But uh, come come unto Christ. It's a different Christ. It's Second Corinthians eleven. Okay. Uh scroll down on the homepage, you can get a Bible or a Book of Mormon. Notice they put the Book of Mormon first, which is, you know, under the First Amendment, it's their perfect right, but it kind of shows you where they're coming from. If you want to find a church, you'll look at that page. Um Dallas Seminary has a similar page and you can go to dts.edu and, uh, figure out where you find grads like me and you're gonna find a map actually ex- slightly better than that one that will actually show you us and a little picture like that. But yeah, there's the church on, uh, beach just west of the, uh, bypass and, uh, I guess since I put in, uh, initially I put in Duncan as, as telling us where, maybe that's the city hall or something, I don't know. But that's their church there, and they've got a couple of other churches. So you've seen them. Now, sometimes they knock on the doors. They usually will be two young men. But three Wednesdays ago, we had two young women who are doing their two years' service with their name tag, Sister Keller and Sister Johnson. And Clay had told me they were going to come, so I talked to them before prayer meeting, and then then be nice at the end of prayer meeting. I said, uh, and I didn't want to call them sister because they're not really my sisters. I'm not really related to them. So, but it says Sister Johnson, Sister Keller. So I was trying to be nice, but I said, hey, everybody, before you all leave uh, at the end of service, uh, say hello to our visitors, Ms., you have to say Ms. now, Ms. Keller, Ms. Johnson, and one of them said, no, I'm Sister Johnson, just for the record, okay? which is fine. That's not the problem. If that was the problem, we wouldn't have a problem. Uh, by the way, I forgot I did that. See, what does that say? What's their web address? Uh, okay. But here's what they're saying about it. Now, they've got a perfect right to do this. This isn't about labels, but just to explain where we are. Uh, they're telling you on their official website, uh, website the, the name Mormon Church is a nickname others gave to church members because we use the Book of Mormon. Exactly, which is one reason I like it. <laughs> but the official name is Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We use the full name of the church whenever possible as a reminder that Christ is central to it. And that's going to fake your average American out. It's going to, unfortunately, fake a lot of untaught Christians that are really believers. Uh, LDS, Latter-day Saints, you may have guessed this one. Actually, I had not guessed it so I'm glad they explained it. LDS is abbreviation for Latter-day Saint, referring to a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. LDS Church is another nickname we avoid as of six months ago, which is fine. You know, whatever. Now this is actually from a several-page document the president that decided to change the name gave to describe how they should proceed. Uh, revised style guide, they all have a revised style guide about what they want you to call them. Uh, in the first reference to, when when you knock on doors and people want to know where you're from, in the first reference, the full name of the church is preferred. So if, they, if you know, they're knocking on doors and every person says, you know, what group do you represent? What they're supposed to say is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. When a shortened bracket, second reference, because that's, that's a mouthful, uh, is needed, you want to use the terms, the church, oh, I don't like that. Because the church is all colors, countries, cultures united by faith in Jesus Christ as savior, not just another prophet who helps us become a better person. Or the Church of Jesus Christ or encourage a restored Church of Jesus Christ is also accurate and and actually encouraged too. So they may use those labels. If someone should ask, are you a Mormon? You could reply, don't, just don't deal with it. You can move to the next level of abstraction. If you're asking if I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, yes I am. That's their answer. So it'd be fun, next time they knock on your doors, you might say, are you a Mormon? And see what they say. If they don't, you may have a copy to say, well, your president says you're supposed to say that. So we can help with the on, ongoing training. Uh, and this isn't about the name. I just thought it was interesting. If someone asks, are you a Latter-day Saint? There's a footnote there I didn't get. You might respond, yes, I am. I believe in Jesus Christ and a member of his restored church. Okay? Very good. That's interesting. This name change is controversial among Mormons because I'm literally looking for this but at a website called wheatandtears.org, which is run by a, a happy Mormon. He explains he's happy, he's not mad at the church, he just doesn't like the name change, and he's got ten reasons they shouldn't have changed the name or the way they're going to be referred to. Uh, terrible mistake, confuse activity with achievement. Uh, Busting around making meaningless changes about our name all over our church makes it look like we're busy carrying out the revelation of a modern prophet, but it's totally absent of any substantive achievement of productivity. So that's his opinion. He's a happy Mormon, doesn't like the name change. Let's go to some statistics, some more important stuff, then we'll talk about how they line up with us. According to their statistics, there's about 16 million members in the world. It sounds like a large number, but there's 7.5 billion. So that's just about 0.22%. That's not a huge number, but it's a large, raw number in a lot of different countries. This is Pew Institute's uh, numbers we saw last week. Uh, according to them, in 2015, 70% of Americans were Christians, self-proclaimed, and uh, what is it, 1.6, according to Pew, claimed to be Mormon. So that's, a, that's about 5.5 million, give or take. So there are the evangelical Protestants, and there's the Mormons. And in Oklahoma, I know you want to, of course, and this is Oklahoma. This is our state we know and love so well. We do better than the United States. According to Pew, and it's not up to them, it's really kind of up to God, but there's 70 point, he knows the exact number. I mean, he knows the exact number. Okay, this is an estimate. 70.6 Americans self-identify as Christians. In Oklahoma, almost 80% of us, almost half of us are evangelical, and Mormons are about 1%, and we're roughly 4 million, so that's 40,000 people. Now... This is a nice review survey of some of their beliefs and practices. I covered it because I, if we had more time, we'd do a guessing game and have prizes. But that's, that's men's fellowship. We'll have a guessing game and have a prize on that. Uh, according to Pew, 77% of Mormons attend church at least once a week. Nothing wrong with that! Sometimes they're going to the right church, right? Uh, 79% donate 10%. They're required to, to strictly tithe before taxes. Now, I'm meddling now, aren't I? You know, preaching is when I'm talking about somebody else's problems. Meddling is when I'm talking about your problems, Tim, okay? That's the difference. All right. 83% pray daily. What's happening to the other 17%? Where are we? I, I can get that. Uh, 91% believe the Book of Mormon was written by ancient prophets, and Joseph Smith was told where they, they were in 1823 by Moroni. 94% believe the president of the LDS church is a prophet. I mean, he's receiving direct divine revelation from God himself. So, uh, and I guess the Lord decided six months ago, go back and change the name, whatever. And then, uh, and this is the important one. Uh, 94% of Mormons, I can't believe 100% didn't say they did, believe God the Father and Jesus Christ are separate physical beings. God the Father looks like an old man with a beard in a white outfit, according to Mormonism. Jesus says God is spirit, and they don't worship him, as, worship him in spirit and truth, but they believe that Joseph, that the God of Mormonism is a glorified human being. Um, yeah, Notice that. When you look at that number, and I, I appreciate the fact they go to church apparently regularly. Here's the stats according to Pew for different groups in the United States. And, uh, you know, the cults beat us, but at least evangelicals, and we're not even half, but at least we're The uh, highest-ranking group that may actually be born again—at least some of them, right? So, but the Mormons are right there, even according to Pew. Although, when you ask Mormons, they say what 77% of them, and when you ask Pew, uh, they say 67%. So the numbers will vary a little bit, but that's going on there. Okay, here's one more chart, and then we'll kind of get into the gist of it. I covered those up because I thought some of these things were 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 surprising. Here's several things Mormons said were essential to being a good Mormon, back when you could use the word, term Mormon. And I guess the first thing is don't use the word Mormon. Uh, 32% say you shouldn't watch R-rated movies, which I think is probably a pretty good rule of thumb. Uh, but it's hard to kind of come up with a system stricter than God that makes it impossible for you to go see the Passion of the Christ. That's just me, right? And, and I, I know that. Uh, about half of them don't drink coffee or tea because uh, warm drinks... Or drinks with caffeine are on the no-no list, which is probably a good thing. I mean, I drink like 18 Coke Zeros a day with both hands, so obviously I'd be a bad member. I'm kind of an evangelical Christian, but I know that can't be good for me. Uh, I mean, if I keep doing that, my hair may fall out, so I'm going to have to watch out. (laughs) 51% uh, believe regular family home meetings. According to the Church, they're supposed to have a concerted time where they unplug the TV, get away from their phones, and spend several hours with a meal, and actually talk to each other. Now I think that's such a good idea. We all ought to do that. You know, I'm, I'm for that, but that's part of the system. 73% I believe they should be uh, trying to help the poor. Hopefully 100% of you believe that. And then 80% believe that Joseph Smith saw God the Father and Jesus Christ in 1820 as a 15 year old boy when he was wondering what denomination to go to, and they told him, don't go to any of them, they're all corrupt. Okay. So anyway, watch this. This is also from the paper the president, uh, of the church, uh, put on the website recently. I guess I already read, I read, read that, didn't I? Following the Savior's resurrection, death of apostles, the world plunged into centuries of darkness, then in the year 1820, uh, God, the Father, and the Son of Jesus Christ appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith to initiate the restoration of the church. Relatively recent, claims to be the restoration, denies everything you need to know. And I didn't mean to repeat that, but I, I do like that. I think that's a good good thing. So here's the thing. Uh, for the rest of the time, let's compare the super seven absolute irreducible minimum truth claims of Christianity, biblical Christianity, with what the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints say about these things. These seven things are these. Who God is generally. Who Christ is specifically. Who we are, human beings are. We're guilty with an inability to save ourselves. What Christ did for us. Substitutionary atoning sacrifice in your place. He paid your sin debt. Validated by what? Literal, bodily, supernatural resurrection from the dead. What we must do to access what Christ did. But to the one who does not work. But who believes in him who justifies the ungodly? That ungodly person's faith is reckoned as righteousness, active, receptive, trust in Christ alone. What's Christ going to do? Second Advent, to end history in God's terms. And where do we get our authority? From Dallas Theological Seminary, from Pastor Brad McCoy. No, from the from Scripture, the Bible, the New Testament, the Old Testament. Here are those seven categories for biblical Christians. It transcends colors, countries, uh, denominations, generations. Who God is? God is true, triune, transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent, underpresent, just, righteous, sovereign, loving, immutable, veracity, eternal. He's true. He's real. He's personal, mind, will, emotions. He's triune, gracious, right? Who Christ is? He's the second person of the Trinity, fully God, who took on humanity with asses to be deity so as the God-man, he can reconcile God and man. He's one person, two natures. Who we are, we're all GIs, in and out of the military, guilty with an inability to save ourselves. By the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified in God's sight, but through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What Christ did, perfect righteous life, substitutionary atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, literal bodily supernatural resurrection. What we must do, active receptive trust, salvation by God's grace, received by faith alone in Christ alone. What Christ will do, literal, bodily, supernatural, undeniable second advent. What the Bible is, verbally inspired, word of God inspired, inerrant, indispensable. That's what we believe. That's what liberal, uh, what uh, poor Christians have believed. Slave Christians have believed. Uh, bel- believers of every denomination and generation, that's the essential truth of Christianity. The Holy Spirit has emphasized for 2,000 years. Here's what the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believe. They believe, and this is a quote from Lorenzo Snow. He was a colleague of Brigham Young and Joseph Smith. He became president late after their death. He wasn't immediately the next president, but after that. And he said famously, as man, as Dustin is now, God, the God of the Bible, Elohim, once was. He was a human being on a like creature on a different planet, but he's such a good person Because of the laws of spirituality as they understand them, he became a glorified person who's a god now. As man now is, as Dustin now is, God once was, as God now is, Dustin may become if you're really, really, really a good Mormon. That's what they believe, okay? That's a whole different conception of of God. No trinity, no transcendent creator being, uh, just uh, a finite being that came into existence at some point in time. Who Christ is, he's a created being, Spirit brother Lucifer, first crop of spirit beings, later God, Elohim created a bunch of spirit beings, including us, that we pre-existed coming to earth. And his humanity, everybody sitting down, uh, the humanity of Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas was the product of a, the marital act between Elohim and the Virgin Mary. That's what they believe, okay? Uh, that's, to me that's a game changer, that's blasphemy, that's absurd, that's science fiction, uh, they may or may not, they're not going to tell you about that. Uh, they're certainly not going to, you know, they're going to downplay that. It's not the first thing they're going to tell you. Uh, you realize that you guys that celebrate, believe in that virgin conception thing. No, Elohim came down and had relations with Mary and then you have Jesus, his physical body. Who we are, we're able to save ourselves through good works, preferably through the Mormon church. What Christ did, uh, there's actually two kinds of salvation, but his death well, let's let's say um, because of something that happened in Gethsemane and it, all human beings have consciousness after death, and because of the example Jesus set on the cross, we can take we can kind of leverage that opportunity and eventually get to one of three heavens if we're really really good people that's that's their plan of salvation that's not gospel that's bad news, not good news. what we must do we must earn particular salvation everybody gets general salvation because Christ in Gethsemane empathize so fully with our sins, we all get consciousness after death. It breaks the curse of Adam as they define it. Particular heaven means going to one of three heavens, and it's based on what you do, preferably in and through the Mormon church, good things, what Christ will do. He's going to return to western Missouri. I'm not making it up, and I'll show you the exact quote in the Doctrines and Covenants, which is one of their four scriptures, to end human history on Mormon terms and to set up things for Joseph Smith to rule the world. So they're very offended we don't think they're Christians. Hey, I'm, I believe in the First Amendment. All I want is a level playing field. They have every right to believe whatever they want to do uh, and believe, but don't tell us you're Christians. This is this is science fiction, man. This is craziness. What the Bible is, it's one of four inspired books. You've got the Book of Mormon. Uh, you've got Doctrines and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. And the doctrine, of Book of Mormon is much more important than the Bible, they will say. Okay, that's a big survey. Let's go back and look at some of the main things they're saying. Now, at the very beginning of this mini-series, we looked at the, at God, the Godhead. We looked at, to see what the Scripture teaches about God. And we said there's one God in three persons. The Father is full, fully deity, he has all those attributes. But he's a different person than the Son or the Holy Spirit. And we went around that, talked about that. That's that's very essential truth. We stress it a lot. Hopefully, it's taught every page of the Bible. can't really miss it. This is what chapter and verse, uh, uh, we're not going to read it all, but this is what they say about God. God used to be a man on another planet, according to Mormon doctrine, page 321, etc. The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as, mine, as, as ours, but it's, uh, it's glorified. God is in the form of a man. God himself was once as we are. He's now an exalted man. God the Father had a father. you got to go back, you know. God resides near a star named Kolob. Kolob? Is that how, you, say it? how do you How do you say that? Kolob. Okay. Lobbing. Yeah, it's like, not hardball, but lobbing. Okay, I can do that. Uh, that's what I just said. I won't say it again, but you get the point. I'm not making this up. Okay. I know it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, they're, they're perfect men. That's what they are. And you can become a perfect man, too, if you're a really good Mormon male. Uh here's another, and this is again this is part this is from their website, Mormon.org. Third fundamental of the doctrine of Christ uh for you to earn your way to heaven is baptism by immersion. So they believe in baptismal regeneration. Uh water baptism is a symbolic ordinance of cleansing that signifies our rebirth as disciples of Christ and Father of His gospel. We join his church and make sacred covenants to God. Uh what do the thief on not the thief on the cross get baptized and enter into make any kind of deal with God, except just to throw himself on the mercy. You know, active receptive trust. Now watch this: to get the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to be water baptized in a Mormon temple. Then you get birth, birth the, then you get to get the Holy Spirit, and then your sins are forgiven up to that point. I like to stress the idea that how many of your sins were forgiven when when Christ died? David, all of them. How many are forgiven for your salvation when you trust Him for it? All the ones He died for. how about the Old Testament believers? The Old Testament believers had faith in the promised Messiah, okay? We're looking back at the provided Messiah. Your sins are forgiven. That sounds good. Christians hear that. They read New Testament theology into that and say, hey, you're justified by faith now. No. You just got, rather than a a slate with all these hash marks of your sins, God just gets an eraser and erases the sins. But he's going to still be slashing down all your mistakes. And so now you've got to have more good deeds than bad deeds and go to certain temple rituals to kind of get some of that sin dues, uh, debt reduced. And if you have more than, you know, good stuff and bad stuff, you get to go to one of the three heavens. So that should sound really strange to you because we teach a clear gospel here. But all this stuff just wipes the slate clean. At that point, you're on your own. You've got to maintain your own positive status by your own good works and rituals and good stuff like that. Now, this is interesting, but it is true. The Mormons teach two different kinds of salvation. So when you, when you quote a verse like Ephesians 2.8.9 that says uh, salvation is a gift, you, know, you can find 50 verses that say salvation is a gift. Well, yeah, that means consciousness after death. Based on what Christ did in Gethsemane, every human being have, will have consciousness after death. If he had not done that, we'd all just be extinct. We'd just go to soul sleep at that point. Uh, that's the general kind of salvation. All the free gospel offers in the Bible, Wendy, will be explained by them or oh, that, yeah that's that's what Jesus did in Gethsemane yeah that's automatic but those free statements are not automatic it's always based on but to the one who does not work but who believes okay uh whosoever believes in him shall not uh help perish but those who don't believe are going to be guilty anyway so so but they make they come up with a whole different category to explain the freeness away then they have what they call particular salvation, which is individual and condi- conditional, based on the death of Jesus and Joseph Smith, who was killed in Carthage, Illinois, in 1844 after disturbing the peace, and uh, he shot a couple of guys on the way. and He smuggled a gun into his cell, and he shot a couple of guys when the riot broke through, and then they killed him. Uh, it's a life of costly works, plus you've got to get the baptism, reception, of the Holy Spirit, to wipe your your slate clean, and then you've got to have a lifelong life of meritorious righteous living plus participation in temple rituals to get the highest heaven. So the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have, as one of their famous sayings, we are saved by grace. Now, what's grace? Unmerited favor. You don't earn it, don't deserve it, can't unearn it, can't deserve undeserve it. That's what the Bible means by that. They have a whole different category for salvation. We're saved by grace. Boom. And then after all we can do, we'll find out where we really go, right? Now, the, the bad news is, for me, uh, according to Lorenzo Snow, the only people that end up in hell are people who leave the Mormon church or people like me that know about it and reject it, okay? So um, maybe I should have warned you. Maybe you might want to leave at this point. <laughs> uh, because we're going to make you a, a bad spiritual bandito. Uh, Christianity says, but the one who does not work but who believes in Christ justifies the ungodly. So we're talking about apples and oranges here. Uh, this is a, this is a bizarre thing in my mind. We'll go to Gethsemane in May if we ever get our invoices. <laughs> uh, I've never worked with a company, we're, we're gonna want to write them one big check, the biggest check I will ever hold in my hands and get it to California and they, it's impossible for them to bill us. We gotta get these invoices. And I'm a man of faith, uh, I will, I'll never read the parable, the Lord's parable about the, uh, the widow and the, and the judge again. The, the same way. Cause I feel like for the last two weeks, and it actually goes back to the middle of February, I've been knocking, calling, talking to Noam, emails back and forth, text messages, send me the invoices, send me the invoices. And we're waiting. But once we get the invoice, I'm going to go back to a normal life. Stop drinking 19 bottles of Coke Zero every day. Okay, watch this. This is from their website. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened in Gethsemane? Was Christ doing any atoning work? No, he's praying. He's praying intently. He's sweating blood. Uh, but, and what does he say ultimately? Name and claim it? No, he says, if there's any way we have a plan B, let's go plan B. But nevertheless, not my will, not what I'm feeling, but. Yeah. in guess this is their official position in the Garden of Yeshimony, our Savior took upon himself every italicized pain, every sin, all of the anguish and suffering, ever experienced by you and me, everyone who ever lived, under and it goes on from there. So like he really empathized with us uh there and that's why we all have consciousness and then his example and Joseph Smith's example in martyrdom allows us to take up our cross and martyr ourselves and living good woman lives. Now that's not just a mistake. This is, uh, they have some, uh, testimonies on their website. Uh, and this, May, Mary D, who's a language specialist, aren't we all? No, I, <laughs> I came to understand what Jesus had done for me by suffering from my sins in Gethsemane. Yeah, that's the only place you're going to hear this is the this church. Nobody else, not this church. Hey, not, the, not the church you're listening to on the World Wide Web. I mean the Church of Jesus Christ, latter I say. Because of his great love for me, I will be resurrected after I die. See? So he's going to have conscience after death. That's general salvation because of the suffering in Gethsemane, whatever that was. Uh, yeah, Atonement. Jesus paid for all of our sins when he suffered in the garden of Gethsemane. Huh? General salvation. We accept Jesus' atonement by repenting, being baptized by them, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, which wipes us our debt out to that point, and then obeying all the commands. That's the hard part. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. That's what the Bible says. They're saying you can obey the commands. I'm saying, I can't do that. And if I can't do it, I know good and well you can't do it. Because <sighs> I'm a professional Christian, okay? i trying to be funny. Now watch this. you, you got to put their meanings into these words. Uh, he says, while the ordinances of baptism and then receiving the Holy Spirit may seem kind of, doesn't take very long, just one one ceremony at a temple, the process of following the gospel, of living a righteous life, uh, is one of enduring commitment, a promise we make to retain the freshness of conversion always and to constantly recommit ourselves. Enduring to the end is the fifth fundamental of the gospel that eventually leads to salvation. And they mean eventually leads to particular personal salvation, not general conscience after death, but personal um, particular salvation. Taking the sacrament, they do the Lord's Supper weekly, is an important part of this process, and each time we partake of the bread and water, we remember Jesus Christ and his atonement, and we remember to keep the commandments. It's all about you keeping the commandments. It's a DIY project here. Okay, Boom. Now, according to them, particular salvation, you're going to one of the three heavens when you die, is based on your merit, your good works, you're earning it, you're holding on to it, it's all about you. They can never say they have been saved in that sense. They can never say they have been saved beyond mere consciousness after death. They can never say they have peace with God in the sense of good to go to heaven. But what does the Bible say 5,000 times? I mean, uh, one more button. Yeah. For by grace, notice the tense there. Maybe we read it so much when I say, you have been saved. Not you might be, could be, will be. You have been saved The faith. Having been justified by faith, we have what? That's the standing. That's That's your position. Uh, it's called positional truth in theology, right? Uh, they're offering you a chance to maybe earn it, and they've got three different levels of heaven. We're all preexistent mortal, uh, mortal spirits uh, because of the death of Christ or Gethsemane. We're going to have consciousness forever now, but yeah, and Elohim and his spiritual wives ha- have uh, a lot of activities that produce spirit children, and he's just got, got a body. That's what he does all day long. Uh, eventually we come to earth uh, at death and we have consciousness after death because of the sufferings of Christ in Gethsemane. Uh, the body goes to the grave. Almost everybody goes to paradise except people like me and people who have left the Mormon church. We all go there. Okay? In connection to the second coming of Christ, to set up things for Joseph Smith. Uh, those of us here will end up in of darkness. You'll probably be there or there unless you convert to Mormonism. And... uh you know, I remember, uh, one year in Puebla, we had this, uh, one year we had this really nice young, uh, probably 30 year old Mexican lady who had a very interesting testimony. She not she got saved in a, in one church, but was coming to Tomas' church and she was really active in the campaign. And, uh, the next, and, and just really a neat person. And I've forgotten her name, which is weird. So I think about her a lot and pray about her. But, um, the next year we go back for the campaign, she's not there and she was so, Visible the previous year, we all kind of said, hey, where's, where, where is she? And Tomas goes, Moroni, which is Spanish. She's a Mormon now. Yeah, they've gone door to door and stuff like that. So anyway, but yeah, uh, the only people that go to the celestial kingdom are very virtuous Mormon men and their wives. And your ticket to get to the top of heaven is totally based on Dustin in the system. Okay. Uh, you've got to be married. For time and eternity in a Mormon temple, you've got to submit to all kinds of temple rituals over a long period of time. You gotta have your bishop or whoever is over you kinda check off your life is is good enough and stuff like that. So very few people end up there, even most Mormons probably don't make that. This is the rest of the decent Mormons, and they're really good people, and this is the, the everybody else for the most part, except for people who love Mormonism or people who knew enough about Mormonism they should have embraced it, but they didn't, and we're down there. So they have three different levels of heaven. And uh, all at the same time. Now you might Homer's going to say, "Well, you have three levels of heaven. You have heaven one where the Old Testament saints went, heaven two where uh, everybody goes since the ascension, and heaven three, the new heavens, new earth." But those are in time sequence based on the program of God. These are three heavens all at the same time, right? Okay, let's talk about what the Bible is. We're going to say new and old testament are inspired, infallible, and errant, indispensable. They got four different scriptures. Very hard to get them all in one book, but if you have real small print and a real strong binding, you get the Bible, Book of Mormon, Doctrines, Covenants, Pearl of Grace, Price, and that's that's their their Bible. I've never seen one of those in real life, and I've talked to Mormons many times, they usually just have a Bible or a small Book of Mormon. But I told you about, according to their beliefs, Jesus is going to come back to Western Missouri. This is from the Doctrines and Covenants. Well, what's that? It's one of the four scriptures, Carol. They don't just have a New Testament Old Testament. they got the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price. Okay, She's very analytical. She's writing all this down. I, I, or she's taking notes in her head. In Doctrines and Covenants, chapter 18, verses 2 through 3, the Lord reveals, yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church, established in the last days, 1820, for the restoration of his people, as he has spoken by the mouth of his prophets, and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion. Now, you and I are going to see Mount Zion in Jerusalem, it's actually, uh you know, in the middle, middle East, you know. I shall be the city of the New Jerusalem. Which city shall be built? Beginning by, at the temple lot, which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri. <laughs> huh? <laughs> in a region known as Jackson County. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of blew my blew my mind, but um, what can I say? It's, you know, Go to independence and make a left, and that's how you get there. You know, so yeah. As far as the Bible, uh, we believe the Bible as far as it's translated correctly. I do too. But this is a statement from the Book of Mormon, First Nephi. I guess I would say One Nephi, if I want to be like Donald Trump. Or two Corinthians. You know, then nobody will notice. I've never read this before. First uh, Nephi, thirteen, verse twenty-eight. Wherefore thou seest that after the book means your Bible, has gone forth to the hands of the great and abominable church, that's all the churches since the apostles, that there may are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. So your Bible's not trustworthy. And the Book of Mormon is much better anyway, because it tells you all the stuff about Jesus and how he how he preached to the lost tribes of Israel who were Native American Indians, because the lost tribes of Israel got in a boat and came across the ocean and in 500 BC, they began what you thought the Native Americans came maybe across the land bridge there near Alaska. Nah, no, they were they came from Israel. So it goes on from there. Okay, let's let's finish this way. Take this to heart. Here's the happy ending you've been waiting for, right? It's happy when they're ending. Uh, the vast majority of people who embrace the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints are nice people. They're moral people. I love to have them as a neighbor or a coworker or something like that. They're not going to lie, cheat, and steal from you. They're clean cut. They're going to take a bath, uh, regularly and stuff like that. But, uh, you know the sincere, sincerity. Hey, Murray, you know this. Uh, Murray, Murray's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I know his name, but, uh. <laughs> no, that's her name. Sid, yeah. You know, they're both called Sidney. It's confusing, okay? Uh, See, if that was in the Bible, they said it was a mistake there. Bam. What was I going to say? Uh, <laughs> sincerity is not a test of truth. I mean, they're, they're sincere. So you need to be courteous to them when, when they come to the house, your house, you know? Just don't buy what they're selling, right? Now, uh, it's funny because I wasn't even going to go here, but l- last weekend uh, we had took Jonathan out for his birthday a week ago, Friday. And I said, what, t- what are you doing now at church? And I said, this, that, and the other. We're going to do Mormonism soon. And he said, what's the deal about polygamy? Uh, here's the thing. When Brigham Young and Joseph Smith, the guys that got it started, they believed in polygamy. Book of Mormon stresses polygamy. They're all having multiple wives, uh, but as you know, the story may be they start on the East Coast and they face a lot of persecution and misunderstanding because everybody back then knew they weren't really Christians based on biblical definition. So they moved uh, out to Utah where they could have plenty of place, plenty of space and plenty of room and not face uh, opposition. And Brigham Young takes them out there, and they start their their, their thing near the, the Great Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake City, and everything's going great for them until the late 1800s. And they want to become a state. And the shorthand version: basically, they're told you can't become a state. We're not going to vote you in, let you be a state. You'll just be a territory and send us taxes, based on that. Um, unless you, if, as long as you're practicing polygamy, as long as polygamy is legal, we're not going to let you be a state. That's essentially what the message they got. And shortly after they got that message from the U.S. federal government, the president of the Mormon church, who I think was Lorenzo Snow at that point, got a message directly from God saying, No more polygamy! <laughs> the, the, the main church. No, you read about uh, Warren Jeffs and these uh, Mormon cults. These are spinoffs that have spun off since 1890 over that issue and some other things. And they're small, uh, you know, inbred little groups, and they're doing all kinds of terrible things to the women uh, that's not your standard LDS, Salt Lake City, Church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints position. They have not practiced polygamy since 1890. I wanted to emphasize this just to help you be a better Bible student. Okay, it's one thing for the Mormons to have it, and then because for political expediency, we won't have it anymore, so we become a state and so on. But what do you do with that? I mean, some of the greatest heroes of the faith had multiple wives, okay? Abraham, Jesus says a lot of nice things about Abraham. Abraham is definitely going to be in heaven, but he had multiple wives, did some weird things. David's going to be in heaven, uh, I mean, knew him in earth. He had lots of wives. Solomon, I mean, you can think a lot of those guys that were clearly being used by God, yet they had multiple wives. What do we do with that? Here's the thing, big principle. When, you've, when you write reading about the stories of people's lives in Scripture, let's call that narrative Scripture, okay? you're going to see all kinds of good, bad, ugly, important, unimportant things. Uh, historical literature like that describes what these people did, the good, bad, and the ugly. It doesn't prescribe that everything they did is a good thing to do. Okay, uh, Abraham lied about his wife twice, thinking if he didn't, when the guy who was stronger than him was wanting to have some fun with his wife Sarah, that they probably kill him first, so he disavowed being married, so to protect himself. And both of the bad guys in those cases refused to do the the, the dirty deed anyway, which is a good thing. Uh, does anybody read that and say, well, it's okay to lie about your wife if it's a, it might protect you from being killed from somebody who's going to do keep her around? I mean, of course not. So uh, historical narrative literature like that is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. So, so what, are, what are we going to do? How are we going to know what parts... In the lives of David, or lives of Solomon, or life of Paul, we should follow as good examples. Use straight, just perceptive statements in the Bible. Okay. Now, where's the first major step? What's the where's the first major place in the Bible you find any kind of statement, a statutory statement about marriage? Genesis, first book, two, second chapter, fifty. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall enter into a covenant with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It wasn't Adam, Eve, Linda, Joyce, and Bambi, the aerobics instructor. It was Adam and Eve. And it wasn't Adam and Steve either, by the way. Okay, So that the straight moral teaching of Scripture has always been one man, one woman, wife, and that's the goal. In every case where you know anything about the polygamists in the Old Testament, they have all kinds of problems, unnecessary, caused by the polygamy. And then in the New Testament, you specifically have commandments you can't miss. One woman, man, one woman, one one man, one woman, man kind of thing. So that's, that's the deal on that. So the fact that David uh, had a lot of wives doesn't mean that's a, an example we're supposed to follow. It means an example we're supposed to avoid, right, kind of thing. Uh, their recent system, they claim to be the restoration. They're not. They're actually the den- denigration um, and so the problem is, they're biblically flawed in what they believe, they're theologically and factly incorrect, and they're spiritually toxic. So what are you going to do when they knock on your door? Same thing I said about Jehovah's Witnesses. Last week I said, be courteous, take control of the conversation, because you've got good news for them. You've got the, you've got the stuff, man. You need to tell them what Scripture says about this deal, and use clear Scriptures. And I'd say the same thing for Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Be courteous when the two guys probably, you may see the two gals sometime. Come to your house. Take control of the conversation. And where are you going to go? I'm going to John 3.16 every time. You know? I'm going to read 3.14-18. through 18, And then for the Mormons, because they believe in that general everybody gets uh, consciousness after death thing, and that's what salvation is. No, it's not talking about that. Uh, Moses, lift up the serpent on the, wilderness, on the pole in the wilderness. God's going to lift Jesus Christ up on the cross. Everyone who believes will have everlasting life. For God the Father, the author of the plan of salvation... Love the world so much he gave his son to die for our sins and rise again, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. If we don't believe we're going to perish, but have everlasting life. God the Father didn't send the Son of the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. Like you go to heaven when you die, and there's only one heaven. He who believes in him is not judged, one who doesn't believe. This is conditional. This is based on believing. It's not unconditional salvation, right? And then the last verse in that chapter, John three, you're in John three sixteen. The one who believes in the Son has everlasting life. The one who does not believe in the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in Him. It's making the terms faith, which is not meritorious. It's rational, but it's not meritorious. It's all about the merits of Christ, and it makes it conditional. There's no such thing as universal, general, unconditional salvation. We're, we're created in the image of God with a soul that's going to transcend death before Jesus went to Gethsemane. That wasn't the problem. The problem was our sin blocked us from being able to connect with God. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners. Yeah, okay. Selah. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us not just to know a hundred details about the Mormon church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints after sitting here. Help us to have a more profound appreciation for the greatness of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I pray if there's anybody here this morning Do not, from the depth of their heart, as your Holy Spirit convicts them of their need for salvation, their sin, their inability to save themselves, and the complete sufficiency of the God-man to save them, open their hearts to see and believe and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. It's on me. I can't fix it by being a better person or going to a Mormon temple, but I want you to, I believe that Jesus died as my Savior to pay for my sins on the cross, and he rose again, and I accept him and I receive His gift of salvation. And Father, we're so thankful that good works are an important part of the Christian life, but it's all about fruit. It's not the root. It's an effect. It's not the cause. And help us to always keep that very clear in our minds, especially as we live our lives as Christians generally, and as we interact with people like Mormons who may come right to our house, and rather than have to go in the woods to find them, they're going to come to our house and knock on our door and want to set up a Bible study, give us the knowledge and the initiative to want to spend a little time reading from Scripture, John three sixteen, to these kind of people, and we pray for them. Pray for that young, uh, those two young women who were here a couple of weeks ago. I know they're just surveying a lot of different churches on Wednesdays. They just happened to pick us because they would interact with Clay some. But we pray that maybe some of the stuff they heard that night uh, might uh, produce some fruit, and cause them to look deeper in the real Scriptures and not their their counterfeit there. And so we do pray, Lord, we'd be better equipped to think about and interact with the, with this force and it is an important force and a growing force in in uh, America and the world we pray in Christ's name amen